You're listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Hello, everyone. It's Fran Barber here. And I'm Brian Corlier. And we are discussing two passages from the 14th uh, week of Pentecost. Namely, we are looking at Exodus 3, verses 1 to 15, and Matthew 16, verses 21 to 28. And we're going to begin with the Exodus passage, chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, our pivotal um, moment in the history of Israel and in um, the history of the church as well, I guess, um, the revelation of God through the burning burning bush to Moses. A heap of... Uh, very rich things to talk about today and to preach from Brian. I'm wondering to kick us off, would you like to point to a couple of key things that leap out to you that we should keep um, in mind when we're dwelling on this passage? Yeah. Well, what doesn't pop out, right? Um, well, this, good question, yeah. Just a yeah, fascinating story. Um, this burning bush, uh, the encounter, um the communication of the divine name and um I, I think there's so much there to to unpack um that we have time for but it's I think something that we probably um need to pay particular attention to is um which is probably um something that might be uh passed over quite easily is the detail in the first verse about uh, the location um, being horrid, mm. um, and specifically the mountain of God. Um, I think, and 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 this is usual in um, quite common in the Book of Exodus. There's a lot of foreshadowing that happens, um, and you know, ominous signs to things that are going to um, happen later on. Mm-hmm. Um, that you need to be a little bit more alert um, when you're reading. So you know, this detail horror. Um, which in other in other parts of Exodus uh, is known as Sinai, um, or you know the, the name Sinai is used instead of Horeb, um, which ultimately means that you know Horeb and Sinai are sort of the same uh, location. It, it, you know, for those of us that are familiar with um, the Book of Exodus, it's a foreshadowing of what's going to come later. Um, in that's Mount Sinai, right? Um, with with the, the covenant, yeah. ten commandments. Um, so this this encounter at the beginning, um, it seems to foreshadow the covenant, foreshadow the giving of the ten commandments. Um, so it's an important encounter. Then that I think for those of us that are reading um, chapter three, we need to bear in mind how this sort of sets us up for what's going to come um, in. Uh, chapter twenty or chapter nineteen, going on to chapter twenty, which is a far away, uh, long away. It's a, it's quite a while away, but um, you know it's quite clever how this is all set up. Even though there's quite a lot that happens from between chapter three and chapter nineteen and twenty, um, but it's all sort of um, it's acts as some some sort of an inclusio, right? Yeah. Uh, with uh, it, chapter three sort of has this resonance with what's going to happen. Um, when they, when 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 Moses this time comes with the nation of Israel uh, to encounter God again, 
on Mount Sinai. I think that's so, a really helpful lens to think of that covenant in Chapter 20 through which to read this and that a lot more will pop out for people um, right. if they do that. So um, the other thing I want to note too is remember that Israel at this time is suffering quite a lot under slavery. Mm. Um, so Moses has grown up in Pharaoh's house. He kept, he killed an Egyptian for beating one of the Hebrews and he fled the land. We found all that out in Chapter 2. He settled in Midian and he married Zipporah. Mm. Um, and the Pharaoh that wanted to kill him has died. And so um, their suffering has got quite oppressive, the Israelites, and we learn in Chapter 2 that God has looked on them and taken notice of them. Mm. Uh, which is another leading phrase right. <laughs> that takes us through one of the one of the key dynamics in this passage, which is the posture and attention of God onto God's people. Mm. And and you're absolutely right. There's a series of um, interesting verbs that this, that depict God's uh, movements and God's reaction to what's happening. You know, we, 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 we read in verse 7 that God observed, um, God heard the cries. Um, in verse 9, God has seen what's happened. Um, and, and so in verse 8, then, we, we see that God will come down and deliver. Uh, so it's an interesting series of verbs that have been um, used to, to, to depict uh, God's act of deliverance, God's act of liberation, and God's um, assurance um, that uh, God will be there in, uh, for Israel to be liberated and to come out of slavery. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's an interesting um, when, when if you if you read this more carefully, it's an in, it's an interesting series of verbs that that sort of um, describe um, what God is about to do, but also um, it's verbs that have been chosen to sort of. Um, depict God's reassurance um, of being there for, for, well, for the it, nation. It strikes me as quite intimate and right. um, very that- attentive. And I'm struck in this comparison, going back to verse 1, mm. um, Moses led his flock beyond the wilderness. So initially we find this encounter with God happens not not just in the wilderness, but beyond right. it. So there's yes. um, this cosmic um, scale in which God exists or, or, or is, um, but that is juxtaposed with this, as you say, responsiveness to the suffering and desire to come close. And it's also particularly poignant, of course, in God knowing Moses' name mm. and calling Moses by name. Um, I think pastorally and for for the preacher, this passage is just so beyond rich for um, getting a glimpse of who God is. I mean, you know, every every sermon is supposed to be, I think, um, mm. who is God here kind of question to to the passages we're preaching from or to the situation we're preaching from. Um, this one seems to have, you know, a five or six point answer to... <laughs> To that, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and you've named one with the intimacy and the coming close, and uh, I'm pointing to one which is, the, you know, the opposite that the will, the beyond wilderness, and the, the cosmic scale of it. Mm. Um, the other might be, or one of the others might be, um, 
that God, in hearing the cry, what we learn about God in hearing Israel's cry and seeing their plight is that God is with those who suffer. Mm. Um, so there's the you know there's there's suffering of a physical um, kind which these people in this story were obviously suffering as slaves, but there's also the existential utter bereftness and the lostness that that suffering right. um, brings to us in different forms, and that God notices that um, mm. and seeks to um, breach it. Yeah. So I think that's a profound revelation of God here. Right. It's it's interesting how um, when we when we're talking about the appearance of God um, and God's reassuring and intimate um, reassurance of His presence um, and also His the 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 act of liberation. Um, that we often, and and I'm, I'm I'm raising this about this particular story is that we we then sort of therefore ignore some of the other um, characters, I guess, um, in this because yes. we that this is just an encounter between God and Moses. But there's a vehicle um, doing it here, isn't there? <laughs> and there's a tree there. There is, um, and, and you know, I I, I I sort of from a from a Pacifica perspective. Um, you know, it's it's the the details of of a tree or what what type of tree you know what, what what's the significance of the tree, um, all that sort of gets scrapped away yeah. in traditional readings of this text, um, and and readings that are more anthropocentric, right? Uh, but if we were to sort of view this with an ecological um perspective, something um and 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 have a more um, ecological mind um, into the text. It, I think we we, we ignore the tree, um, mm. which is ironic because that's what caught Moses' attention in the yeah. first place. Was this tree that um, that is burning but doesn't burn? Mm. Um, so it, you know, I'm reminded of this story from my village. Um, in my village, we we have we have this uh, story about a a wild hibiscus um, who talks. Um, and this wild hibiscus is um, is known for giving wisdom uh, and giving directions to people who are sort of lost or um, seeking path, you know, a, a path to where they, or seeking a path to where they want to head to. Um, so this wild hibiscus in our village, um, it talks and it, and it gives these um, important directions for for any for people that are, are journeying, um, and so. You know, when I'm 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 thinking about this tree, right? This burning tree, um, and you know, it's it, it. I can't help but think at how this resonates that we have a talking tree as well in mm. Exodus, um, and 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 the wisdom is the wisdom. You know, there's wisdom coming from this tree as well. You know, starting off with the you know, take off the your shoes, your sandals. Um, you know, this ground is holy, um, and then you know, giving all this. The, you know, this long um, speech to Moses about what 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 God sees and what God's about to do, and it's all coming from the tree. Um, so you know, it, it's interesting for me to to hear this um, and and how the tree does sort of play a pivotal role. Mm. 
um, in, the, in the narrative, but we're too quick to sort of bypass that and focus instead on the encounter between Yahweh or God with um, with mm. Moses. I found that particularly interesting. Yeah, it's connecting for me because I'm doing some reading at the moment with some colleagues on some of the work by Andrew Root, um, who's a, a theologian writing particularly about um, what well, he writes. He's got a series, The Church in a Secular Age, Congregational in a Secular Age, the, the Minister in the Secular Age, but he talks a lot about secularism and Charles Taylor's work, but yeah. talks particularly about the complete loss of enchantment in the Western mm. consciousness so that we've lost imagination to even think God would appear or speak to us. I mean, there's complexity to that um, line of argument. But, um, you know, what you observe and talk about the Pacifica perspective on this text really puts into sharp relief how, how right Andrew is, that we just brushed over this um, part of the – well, I did <laughs> – brushed over this um, yeah. You know, and we flatten the text in that sense often. So, yeah, that's a really helpful uh, reminder. I mean, it'd be interesting to hear the story again if it was sort of told by a Pacifica person that probably named the tree and mm. tell us what, what actual tree it was. Um, but we don't really see that um, detail. I mean, I don't know. Have mm. you visited this part of the world, Brian? It's possible that they've said where the tree is and we can go and visit it, but mm. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it'd be it'd be intriguing, and and why this particular tree as well? Um, so yeah, I found that fascinating. Yeah, no, that is. Um, so we've talked about how God appears here in several ways. Um, so God appears to Moses, and to Moses for a particular reason. One might assume, as one reads, you know, and certainly gives Moses a task um, mm. to do, and. Um, you know, that's something those of us who, you know, we're all children of God who are called in particular ways in our life. Yeah. Um, and there are resonances in this passage around how um, we are called, but also how we might respond like Moses does, which is essentially, no thanks, it's a bit too hard. And what if all this stuff goes wrong and <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. not worthy? <laughs> so on. Um, and then the very profound. Um, response which from God, which is, I will be with you. So mm. the intimacy you've already spoken about with coming down and noticing the people and noticing their suffering is this right. assurance of faithfulness and, and will be, you, will, you know, I'll be with you. I mean, yes, I'll be before you, but with is such a much more sort of collaborative type of idea. Yeah. Um, not even for you, I'll be with you. There's something... Um, yeah, very connected about that. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, when you think about, you know, and this is just an example, if you think about like talking, right, when talking to you, uh, talking at you, but when you're saying talking with you, um, like you said, there's this, there's this element of sharing, right? Yeah. Um, and so... The, the whole idea that I will be with you um, sort of um, communicates that idea that um, that God is with them, God will be sharing with them. Um, this is not something where that where, where one side is sort of picking up the slack and while the other just sort of tags along. This is a journey that's you can imagine two people holding hands together mm. and, and and going to, with uh, together. Um, so yeah, the, the intimacy, the intimacy 
uh, is profound when when we focus on the word with here, um, and I think that's a that's an um, amazing uh, pickup there. You know, to to for us to to get further gauge the level of intimacy and God's um, you know presence. Mm. You know, it's not just this is not just by standing because it's intriguing, right? Um, how God observed and heard. Right, where there's a, there's the implication that God was sort of back in the distance Lurking. somewhere. Uh, yeah, so I mean, God wasn't quite there, but now God is saying, "Okay, now it's time for me to come forth and be yeah. with you." Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, we haven't talked in detail at all about the naming here. This passage is just so crucial for God. God's name, I am who I am, I will be who I will be. The Hebrew, I understand, and this is your area, of course, Brian, <laughs> is um like the tenses, are, the, the English understanding of tense is just too limited for what this name mm. of God means. Right. Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about the Hebrew, um, we go back to the root word, which when translated means to be, right? So, again, this connects back to the theme of reassurance um, and intimacy uh, that, you know, there's a suggestion there that um, that the, through, the, through, the, through the name, the holy name, I am who I am, that, um, that God will be there, right? Um, when we think about the word to be. Um, but also... There's also um, a certain amount of, um, you know, confidence about the name. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, it sort of outlines uh, the unlimited uh, nature behind what God can do. Um, you know, God, God's name um, reflects that and it almost suggests, you know, if we think about the Hebrew um, there, it almost seems that God is saying, oh, I am whoever I want to be. Mm. Right? I, 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 I am, you know, no one, you can't put me in a box. You can't confound me to, um, you know, to a certain, um, you know, boundary. I, I I am who I am. I am whoever I want to be. You know, that's, that's sort I, of like the name. And I will be who I will be. Behind them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we, it's it's an it's a very powerful name that I that that is not also depicting God's um, powerful nature, but it also is empowering for those who are suffering. Um, that for those who hear this name, um, you know, it, it becomes a, a reassurance of God's mm. power to liberate them from their own um, state of bondage. Mm. I think we might move on to the gospel reading, which is Matthew sixteen twenty-one to 28. Yep. So this is a crucial point in Matthew's gospel. Um, one of the first, first of the three passion predictions. Um, we have the phrase, from that time on, that starts off the passage, which does indicate a shift and the first thing we hear is the um, shocking claim to Peter that Jesus must suffer and die and that that's mm. what the Messiahship is defined by in this instance. 
and there are echoes for me with the passage we just talked about in just a small word in that first line, which is to show. Jesus began to show his disciples. So he didn't teach them or tell them. So this is there's, there's revelation that's going on here that um, echoes the process that goes on in Exodus 3 in some senses, I think. This is mm. a special gift that's being or a revelation that's being shared. Um and the other seemingly insignificant word that isn't in this law in this sentence is also must. Sort of the necessity um, that Jesus must is compelled to go to Jerusalem. It's not. Um, it's not. It's not something that's um, a choice. Mm. Now, yeah, I, 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 I was I was thinking as well about that. Um, how it resonated with God's movements in Exodus, um, the passage that you know that, that we read. Um, it's it's on, it's not only show, but it's also it 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 underlie, um, underlines what Jesus is about to do. Jesus is about to go um, to Jerusalem and undergo um, great suffering. So there's interesting um, verbs that have been chosen here as well in Matthew 16, um, which is. I mean, I wouldn't say Jesus was uh, sort of lurking in the background as God was in mm. Exodus, but <laughs> but it, it does make for an interesting um, comparison because um, now the time has come for Jesus to act, um, and it's it's quite a um, you know when we read when we when you're reading this with Exodus, um, it's it's quite intriguing to see how it can it resonates right when when you're looking at the movements of God. In Exodus, but now Jesus is moving as well, and this, you know, this sort of series of movements leads to reassurance, leads to an intimacy um, that we can sort of envision. Um, so yeah, I mean, ultimately for Jesus, though, Jesus is killed. Um, I mean, you know, obviously got Jesus is raised on the third day, but then, but just the idea that Jesus goes in order to be killed. Mm. Um, yeah, there's for for us, you know, twenty first century Christians um, hearing that, um, probably, you know, it's it's a, it's a, it's it's reassuring, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But you can imagine first century Christians hearing the idea of being killed. Um, I don't know whether that's so reassuring. <laughs> well, no, not on the face of it. I mean, I'm thinking yeah. of, um, you know, Peter's response to this, um, which is somewhat more starkly oppositional than Moses's is to the burning bush. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he rebukes, which is um, rebukes Jesus, which is a really strong word. I think is it the same verb? I think that Jesus uses of the of the wind in the storm. I think it is. Anyway, probably, people probably, people yeah. can look that up. Um, yeah. God forbid it, Lord. Like, how could this be? This can't happen to you of all people. You know, right. you're the Messiah. Um, and and in a sense, some people do say that Peter represents like the tempter in the desert. Mm. Um, sort of offering Jesus almost a, a way of avoiding the, these mm. things. Um, and then, you know, Jesus' cl- classic response to Peter, get behind me, Satan, which which in the <laughs> Greek is ipso mu, which is follow, like as a disciple should. So it's a, it's a, it's a Greek verb or words that are used um, more generally about discipleship. Um, so follow me, get back to doing what you're meant to be doing, yeah. not detect directing me about how it is I'm supposed to be <laughs> yeah. inhabiting the messiahship. 
Well, doesn't that um, sort of relate to, you know, we, we were talking about God's name in Exodus. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, how God's name um, sort of communicates this idea that God can do anything. Yeah, expansive, uh, yeah. Expand- yeah. And so here we have Peter um, is guilty of, of doing that, right? You know, saying, that, oh, this has never happened to you, you yeah, know, yeah. this you're supposed to be this. You're not supposed to be, you know. Um, but so, and then, to, you know, I guess that causes Jesus to rebuke. Um, and we can sort of, if we're reading this um, with Exodus, maybe this suggestion that Jesus is rebuking him um, for trying to limit what he can do. Mm. Um, putting him in a box. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, it's just stark as well because Peter, poor old Peter, like he doesn't get it right much. <laughs> and, you know, we're a bit hard on him because, frankly, the incarnation is a weird and surprising thing. So fair enough that he's a bit bamboozled. But in the previous mm. passage I, or chapter, he's, he's correctly, technically t- correctly identified Jesus and here he, yeah, mm. he undercuts that um, quite yeah. severely. Uh, but so yeah, the rock, the rock of the on whom Jesus will build the church becomes the stumbling block. Mm. Um, and as Halvar says in his theological commentary in Matthew, that you know here it is that the first um, to rebuke Jesus is actually the church, which is quite mm. a, a you know sobering and humble thought, or a sobering thought that might lead to humility in us, the church. I hope. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that's interesting. Um maybe it is a call to to humility for, for us as well, um, as members of the church. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Mm. So um then we get to that the very well known passage here about cross and self denial and um of course that's a modern addition, that heading, as all the headings are to the in the Bible, but the word deny is used in English here. Um, I have heard um, readings that would perhaps prefer to use forget oneself. So if mm. anyone want to become my followers, and I like, by the way, I like that if because there's a complete recognition that many will not want to do this. Most will not want to do it. Um, <laughs> and I think that I think that's quite a useful thing to note for people who worry about empty churches. Mm. It's not the norm. It's if if people want to come and not everyone will want to do it. Um, let them forget themselves and take up their cross and f- cross and follow me. Um, and I like to forget forget myself because it it has that clear nuance of not putting oneself first and um, recognizing other th- recognizing God or the other before oneself. But the whole notion of denial, which we jokingly talked about before we pressed record, that you know the Western world perhaps could do a bit more self-denial but then it it does have connotations that are quite unhelpful about suffering for its own sake and then you've got you know all sorts of people who are disempowered within any context and um you know self-denial doesn't really work there in a you know it doesn't bring good news um and then talks about um losing your losing your life i don't know whether you've got any comments to make about this section, Brian. Um, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm again. I, I'm reading this into with Exodus, um, and so I guess it brings me back to God telling uh, Moses to take his sandals off. Mm. Um, 
I mean, I don't, I don't know that that uh, particular verse is is sort of read usually as a as a prelude to self denial, but maybe we could reread um, that verse as a um, you know as an indication of self denial, um, where Moses uh, enters this you know enters the sphere of of God's presence, um, and you know walks with the sh- with his shoes in and then gets told to take his shoes off mm. Maybe that speaks to that right um mm. you know, and, and i'm reading this from from a pacifica perspective as well um i know sione javier has has sort of um written about this uh in in, in one of his earlier works um about the idea that um and i'm paraphrasing sione here that for pacifica people you know, we we know we know to take our shoes off when we enter, um, whether it's sacred ground or another person's house, um, especially when we're the visitor, right? Um, so there's a, there's obviously a colonial tendency in one not taking their shoes off, mm. um, you know, when they enter someone else's uh, land or or someone else's house. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a sign of respect, mm. um, it's a sign of uh, humility, um, but. When read with Matthew 16, it's, it can also be a sign of um, self-denial. Mm. Um, and, and so all those things, they intertwine, they interrelate. You know, the, the, um, the, you know, the, the, the notion of respect, the notion of humility, um, they all relate with, with the notion of self-denial. You know, mm. all those things um, mm. are all related. So, um, like I said, we don't probably normally don't um, read Moses taking his shoes off as a, form of self-denial but maybe when we read it into textual of Matthew 16 there's yeah. for us to yeah, yeah. see it events you know. um and also I'm, I'm thinking about the phrase taking up your cross um yeah here as well mm. and you know that right. is also one that's been misused by people of power onto people you mm. know to justify the suffering they are imposing on others mm-hmm. um yep. and in a sense what do, you know this passage is not saying you better go around those of you who don't think you've got any crosses and try to accrue a few just to get yourself into the kingdom because that's not what Matthew's or any gospel writer's um, yeah. um, idea is. It's a much it's um, it's not about plotting for success, but sort of obedience to um, to God and the welfare of the neighbour that comes first. And in that sense, you lose your life. You forget yourself in service of the other and you both become mm. more fully who you're called to be in and mm. and closer to God. Um, but also thinking of, you know, that taking up your cross, in a sense the task on Moses, the particular call on Moses to him, sound, I mean I'm reading intertextually and not anachronistically hopefully, but <laughs> I mean that's a sort of a cross. You know, he doesn't want to do mm-hmm. it. It's, it's unknown, yeah. it's uncertain, it's terrifying, right. he's going to get masses of opposition, you know. Right. Um, that 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 our, our life under call from God does involve um, because it involves God and other people intimately in mm. relationship. Um, it means bearing one another's burdens and um, yeah. putting others before yourself. Exactly. Um, I mean, you only have to read a couple of chapters further down in Matthew to find out what exactly Jesus means about carrying the cross, right? Um, it's a total, total denial of oneself um, and giving up their life for, you know, the rest of the world. Um, so, 
this whole idea of service and i mean one of the strong themes in the in the gospel of matthew is discipleship mm. uh, and discipleship does um entail uh service to the other and it's not just um you know any other it's 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 a lot of the times it's the marginalized other right mm. Mm. And we're and this is not an earning. We're living out of a response to God coming to us first, right? So we are living um, in in gratefulness and graciousness, and this is the responsive way to live, rather than that we're earning, um, you know, points for want of a better word, yeah. or work or earning righteousness. Yeah. I guess I'm saying, yeah, that's right. Okay, well, thank you for the conversation, Brian. We'll meet again yeah, this next has been time. Great. Okay, yeah, thanks. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.